Well, uh, continuing in our saga of the story of Joseph, Genesis chapter 40 is the basis of Scripture today. If you would like to follow along in the reading of your word, I'm going to actually start in the 39th chapter in the last couple of verses, I think beginning with verse, uh, verse 20, and uh, would ask you to follow along, 25 verses of Scripture, maybe 26, but would you follow along for uh, the status of Joseph at this time? Chapter 39, verse 20, the last part of verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Chapter 40, verse 1. Sometime later... That's a key phrase. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned him to Joseph, and he attended to them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in the same prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Verse 6, when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's official who were in custody with him in the master's house, why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. Verse 12, This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, lift, lift you up, uh, lift up your head, I'll get it right in a minute, and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh to get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being in this dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph added. Three, the three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Continue in our series this morning of how to live successfully for God in the midst of what life brings. And today we find Joseph in prison. 
There's actually a dungeon under the palace, a hole in the ground, a dank, dusty, dirty, filthy environment. And, uh, and, and we gain strength for that. How to live successfully for God when God says, wait. I've never been a very patient waiter. That's not the kind of waiter that delivers food to you when you go to a restaurant. But those who, W-A-I-T, I've never been a very patient waiter. I've contemplated over the last few weeks as I think about this chapter and this message, how much waiting is a part of all of our lives. We, we wait for the traffic light to turn green. We wait for the promotion at work. We wait for acknowledgement from our superiors. We wait for the right one to come along to be ours. Sometimes we wait for that boy to finally ask us for a date or to ask us to marry them. Sometimes the boy waits. I shouldn't say the boy. Sometimes one of them waits for an answer. We, we even have, waiting is such a part of our lives, we even have uh, uh, aspects of our lives that have designated rooms for waiting. At the hospital, the doctor's office, the dentist's office has a room designated as a waiting room. We spend a lot of our lives waiting, probably more than we would ever imagine if you put it all together. Waiting is not fun. Waiting is not glamorous. Waiting is not glorious. Waiting is hard to do. Sometimes, in God's dealing with us, his answer to our prayers is wait. Waiting on God is a spiritual discipline that every believer must embrace sometimes and discipline themselves to so trust God that we are willing to wait until God is ready to act. That's hard for us to do in an instantaneous world. I mean, we have microwave ovens. You don't have to wait to cook it, to, to have something bake in the oven. By the way, for all you younger folks, there was a time before microwave ovens. Amen. We have instant communication. In fact, sometimes the event that, is, that needs the law enforcement is made public before the law enforcement even knows about it. We can make a cup of coffee at a time in about a minute. We live in an instantaneous world. And our society says, I want what I want when I want it, and that is now. But a great spiritual discipline of Scripture is God says sometimes just wait. It is one of the hardest things to do in Christian living. It is one of the hardest things to embrace. We pray and we ask and we believe like the Bible says, and God doesn't respond, we think. I mean, Jesus said, ask and you receive, knock and it shall be opened, seek and you shall find. James says, you have not because you ask not. We read in Scripture of Jesus healing lepers instantaneously and Jesus bringing people back from the dead instantaneously. And we get to thinking that all this instantness takes place in, even in our spiritual lives. And we give the enemy a great foothold in times of waiting in the midst of our instant mindset. They say to us, the enemy say to us, God's not listening. God doesn't care. God has forgotten you and all kinds of negative things. Waiting on God is hard to do. And yet, the success of what God is able to do in our lives is dependent upon how successful we are in the waiting period. By the way, sometimes I've been so convinced of God's will when God responded and when I prayed and God didn't respond, I've tried to help God along. I mean, it's His will. It's the right thing. Surely God needs my help, and boy, what a mess I've made. There have been times of, uh, of waiting in my life that I've become discouraged, that I've thought maybe God's not really listening. 
or I thought that I've done something wrong and God has set me off to the side as a matter of dis- to discipline me. But that's not scriptural in any way. In fact, the success we have in life and the success we have beyond, beyond times of waiting is dependent upon how successfully we are able to wait on God. I learned a lot about God, I often say, when I had children. And those kids, especially the little ones when they were little, would come to me with what they believed was a world event in their lives, a problem that encompassed them, a problem they couldn't understand. As a parent, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, and sometimes I knew how to solve it. But I didn't because it was to their good that they struggle with it a while. It was to their good that they figure out how to, how to deal with these things because I knew they would face this situation again and again and again in life, and they needed to learn how to cope, and so I did not step in and resolve their issue immediately. I learned a lot about God in, dealing, in being a parent and having children, waiting on God. I want to contend to you this morning that as Christians, as, as in our marriages, in our homes, in our churches, we need to learn how to do a better job of waiting on God. Because what a mess we make when we step in and decide that God needs help. By the way, I've learned a long time ago that God doesn't need my help to, do, to accomplish His will for me. He needs my willingness. He needs my participation when he says, but, but God's will in my life is not dependent upon me getting in the way and helping God out, learning how to wait. I point out to you in Joseph's life that chapter 40 begins with Joseph in prison, and chapter 40 ends with Joseph still in prison. You remember the story of how his brothers had betrayed, Joseph's brothers had betrayed him. They attempted to kill him and finally decided to sell him to a caravan of traders out in the desert. For about 30 days, Joseph would walk in the heat of the desert to a foreign country. He would be sold on the public auction block in the town square as a common slave. He would be purchased by, a, by an official in Pharaoh's uh, uh, administration, a man identified by Potiphar as his slave. But, but Joseph realized God was with him, and God blessed Joseph. And in fact, the Bible says God blessed everybody that was kind to Joseph. And this Potiphar guy was, was aware enough to realize that there was something special about this young man. And he began to give him more duties and more responsibilities. And Joseph was not only faithful in those, attending to those things, but God blessed the household of Pharaoh the crops in the field and the herds of animals and everything Joseph attended to. It wasn't long before Pharaoh turned, before Potiphar turned all of his dealings over to Joseph. In fact, the Bible says Potiphar only decided what he would eat. Joseph attended to every other detail of his life. But not only had Potiphar taken notice of Joseph, the Bible says Potiphar's wife had taken notice of Joseph as well. Not because the blessing of God was upon him, but because of her desires. And she tried to entice him into having an adulterous relationship with her on many occasions, the Bible said. But it came to a, it came to a, 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 a critical point one day when everybody in the house was gone, but her and Joseph. When Joseph was going about his normal duties and she realized the opportunity she had. And you remember the story. She grabbed him by the shirt sleeve and said, there's nobody around but me and you. Today is the day. And Joseph ran out of his shirt and left her holding it in her hand. She did that until the the other servants came in and reminded them of the danger she was in. And when her husband came home, she held that shirt up and shook it at him 
Go to the Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> I think that that's my interpretation. She held that shirt and she said, Look, this Hebrew kid you brought into our house tried to take advantage of me when I was alone and unprotected, and he left his shirt when I screamed, and what are you going to do about it? And the Bible said the anger of Potiphar was, was so hot and so quick that he cast Joseph into prison, which was actually a hole in the ground under the palace. It was a one-way ticket in, by the way. They had no parole system. There was no honor system. There was no merit system. You got out of prison one of three ways in this day and time. The person who, who put you in the prison had, had to say that you've suffered enough and you paid enough and you can now come out. The Bible never says Potiphar ever said a good thing for Joseph at any point in time, nor did Potiphar's wife ever admit that she lied about what happened in the first place. The second way you could get out was if the king of Egypt, Potiphar, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, decided your sentence was sufficient and you could get out. The third and most common way a person got out of prison was to be carried out because they died there. Dark, dirty, unsanitary, a hole in the ground, no public, no uh, uh, running water, no public uh, uh, conveniences, no probably not even a window, no air moving. It was a terrible place. And Joseph was thrown into prison. Do you imagine that Joseph prayed that God would help him get out of prison? I think he did. The Bible doesn't say it that way, but don't you think that Joseph tried every means possible to get out of prison, even when the cupbearer, the, the official of Pharaoh, was going to be released? Joseph's last words were, remember me, remember me and help me. I haven't done anything wrong. I've been true to my master. I've been true to myself. I've been true to my God. I've done nothing to deserve this. Help me get out. How discouraging it must have been to realize the cupbearer simply forgot Joseph. The Bible says in chapter 39, chapter 40, sometime later after Joseph had been in prison, it doesn't identify that, but it gives an indication that it was a while, and sometime later the, the Pharaoh threw his officials in. If you go to chapter 41, you'll find that two years after the cupbearer was freed, uh, God caused a situation that caused the cupbearer to remember. In the midst of chapter 40, God seems to be saying to Joseph, wait, it's not time. In fact, God's blessing was upon Joseph and everything he did prospered and the jailer seemed to notice that and he gave uh, the administration of all the, the activities of the prison over to Joseph. Joseph attended to every person there, but he was still captive in a dank, dark, dirty, filthy, unsanitary environment. And he had done nothing but tell the truth and honor God. And it seems that God's silence in chapter 40 just goes along with saying it's not time yet, just wait. What do you do in your life when God says wait? I, if I were to ask for a show of hands, I would imagine everyone here would raise their hand to say, we have prayers that we've prayed in God in faith, believing that God has not answered yet. Sometimes we pray a lifetime for the salvation of our children, our, our relatives, or our, our close associates. Sometimes we, we pray that God would get us out of this mess. We pray that, that, that we're imprisoned by all kinds of things from abuse and, and, and addictions and, and all kinds of things. And we pray and believe, but God just seems to be silent. I remember when I was a young child, the old timers in church used to say, I prayed, and I don't think my prayers ever penetrate the ceiling. Now, now that's not theological in, 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 in its description, but it's, it's, it's pretty practical in life. 
What do you do when God is silent? How do we conduct ourselves? I remind you that how we survive and conduct ourselves in the periods of waiting depends upon what God is able to do for us when His time frame finally comes evident. What do you do when you're waiting? Well, three things I want to point out to you that Joseph did. What a great example it is. First of all, Joseph stayed busy and being faithful to God and being faithful to his responsibilities. Joseph stayed busy and remained faithful. He doesn't, in this chapter, he began to talk about, again, how terrible everybody's treated him. In fact, he even says to the cupbearer, I was imprisoned in the land of the Hebrews and, and thrown in there. He doesn't say, my sorry brothers did this to me. He doesn't say the people that were supposed to protect me betrayed me. I believe I added a little bit of language to all that. Joseph just said the big picture is, I was taken by force in the land of the Hebrews, and I, and I need somebody. I've done nothing wrong. I need somebody to help me get out. Joseph, though, stayed busy with what the task God gave him to do. And Joseph seemed to remain faithful to God. In fact, it seemed as though God was the only hope Joseph had of getting out of the prison alive. He stayed busy. He attended to the needs of all people. He attended to the needs of the officials of Pharaoh's uh, cabinet. He, he remained faithful to the captain of the, of the prison, the person in charge of the prison. He, he does nothing to, 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 to admit that, that discouragement so consumed him. He became angry and bitter and resentful. No place in chapter 40 does Joseph badmouth his brothers or, or, or say bad things about Potiphar or say bad things about Potiphar's wife. I believe I would probably have not been as successful as Joseph. I'd at least wanted to state my case and defend myself. But it didn't help Joseph because no one there could help him. Joseph seems to stay busy doing the task that was at hand and being faithful to God. What do you do when God says wait in your life? Sometimes if we're, not, if we're not careful, we let the enemy so overtake us that we begin to complain. We begin to complain to people at church. We begin to complain to our families and our friends. We, if we're not careful, that, 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 that bitterness takes root in our heart, in our, in our lives, and, and we become tainted. And there's a lot of bitter people that attend a Christian church in America these days. And there's probably even more bitter people that used to attend church, because, but they don't anymore because, in part, they've not been able to handle the time of waiting. I encourage you, in the midst of your spiritual journey, if you are at a point in time in which God says wait, if you are at a period of time in which you prayed earnestly and sincerely and faithfully and God has not seemed to act it on your behalf, I encourage you don't let anger take over and bitterness take over and don't develop a bad attitude. Stay busy doing what God has given you to do. In fact, it's a biblical principle. God always seems to bless and redeem those who stay busy. God seems to call those who stay busy. Those, God seems to work through those who stay busy. And the times of waiting is not a time to doubt God and the church and, and everything else and everyone else. It's a time to stay busy and be faithful. First key to successfully living for God in the midst of a time of waiting is to stay busy and stay faithful. Secondly, I would tell you what Joseph did. I just described it in this way. He lived ready. He lived ready for the next action. He lived ready for God to reveal himself. He lived ready to walk through the opportunities God had given them. He was ready. He was not so, so damaged that when, when God gave him an opportunity, he was unable to respond. He lived ready. That's evidenced by 
his attention to the dreams of a couple of prisoners. In fact, so ready and so close to them that by the, by the look on their face, he knew something had happened and something was wrong. Who would have ever thought that a dream would be Joseph's ticket out of the prison? A dream was uh, one way as a 17-year-old uh, young man that got him in trouble with his family. A dream was his ticket out. Joseph had no way of knowing that. He was just simply living ready. And when God finally did, to, to fast forward to when God finally did grant him freedom from the prison and, and, and gave Joseph an incredible opportunity through an interpretation of the dream of Pharaoh, Joseph was ready to step through the door God opened for him. And in fact, not only be uh, the, be the uh, a person who would, who would sustain the, the life of, of Egypt, but also preserve a remnant of his family, those who had, done, who had treated him so poorly, and uh, to preserve a remnant of the people in which a few generations in the future, a baby would be born in Bethlehem called Jesus. Live ready. I say it again, and we'll probably say it before we're all through with this series. I'm amazed when Joseph got out of the prison and finally had the audience of the most powerful man on, on the region, maybe in the world at that time, the Pharaoh of Egypt. Joseph didn't begin to badmouth Potiphar and begin to badmouth his wife and begin to say to, to, to Pharaoh, you've got, you've got some flawed people in your administration. You need to take care of them. When Joseph got in charge, he doesn't seem to retaliate. He lived ready. I wonder how many times God has given me opportunities that didn't come to fruition in my life because I simply was not ready for, what the, door, for the door God opened. Because it didn't open the way I think it should. God didn't solve the issue the way I thought He should. By the way, I spend, have spent in my past a lot of time reminding God what He could do to solve my problems. I often say that in a five-minute time of prayer, I spend about 30 seconds telling God what the problem is and four and a half minutes telling Him what He could do to solve it, and God has yet ever taken my advice. I wonder, though, how many times I've missed opportunities simply because I was not ready. A key to successfully living for God in the midst of a time of waiting depends on the fact that we keep ourselves mentally, spiritually, physically ready. Was, was Joseph discouraged? He must have been. Was Joseph angry at his injustice? He must have been. But the key for Joseph was that those traits simply passed through the journey, the road of his mind, and did not park and set up and take residence and build structure and to live there. Joseph had to deal with all the things we did deal with, but... He was able to do it in such a way that when God opened the doors for him, he was ready to follow. And in fact, God opened the door for Joseph with a cupbearer and with a baker, and Joseph didn't even know it. I think that's true of the way God works in all of our lives. We get a fix in our mind what we should do and what God should do and how this is going to end and how we're going to get over it and everybody's going to get well and be happy and get along with each other and we're going to have money and the job's going to be great and all those things. And yet I think God sometimes answers our prayer in pieces and ways we don't even comprehend. And if we're not living ready, we miss what God is trying to do. And then finally this morning, how to successfully navigate a time of waiting. I think Joseph had to allow God to be big in his life. Listen, folks, there are life issues that need a big God. 
And God will be as big in our lives as we allow Him to be. Sometimes, if we're not careful in the church, we, 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 could, we tend to think that God is just barely able to, 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 to respond to our issues and meet our needs, that, that God is just barely adequate. I've been guilty of that many times in the past. I hope, I pray, I'm trying to have faith to believe that, God, you're able to accomplish this. I need it so desperately, and I hope that you're able to do that. That is so unscriptural. He is a big God. And He will be, in fact, we read it, His greatness cannot even be fathomed in our mind. He will be as big in our lives as we allow Him to be. Sometimes we pray too small. Sometimes we expect too little. Sometimes we, we put God in a box in the way that we think and hoping that he, he really can do that. The Bible says again, God wants to do exceedingly and abundantly above that which we may ask and seek. In fact, the resources of God's power can not only be measured by our minds, it can, never be under, it can never be fully limited. God is great, and God is big, and God is large and in charge, I like to say. How big is your God? Joseph came into a place with no hope of ever getting out of the prison. In fact, the chief baker came in, and the cupbearer, Joseph, didn't perhaps realize that, that, that in just being faithful to those guys would be his ticket out, but Reminding the cupbearer, when you're finally blessed with the restoration of putting your cup in Pharaoh's hand. By the way, the cupbearer was the one that tested everything given to Pharaoh to drink. If it was poisoned, if somebody was out to get the Pharaoh, it was poisoned. It would kill the cupbearer first and not him. Only would Pharaoh drink when the cupbearer had a taste and lived. Pretty important position. He was with Pharaoh all the time. He was part, probably one of the most confidential in, uh, uh, partners of, of Pharaoh's administration. He was there all the time. And Joseph said, when you are so blessed, would you just remember me? And how discouraging it must have been to realize when the dream happened just like Joseph said it was, the cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. We need a big God. So in a time, God says, wait, God has not forgotten us. God is not giving up on us. God is not uh, punishing us. God is saying, not yet. My time for you has not arrived. And we'll see as we get to the end of Joseph's story that it was a dream Pharaoh had that was Joseph's ticket out of the prison. And Pharaoh would make Joseph second in charge, a foreign man in charge of the government of the country of their enemies. And it all happened because God orchestrated it. Joseph, although he was abused and taken advantage of, was in the right place of the desert at the right time. The caravan of traders didn't just happen to come by at that time. God had to ordain it. And although these other things happened to Joseph, and he spent time as a slave in Potiphar's house, and he spent time in prison. In fact, sometime later, the Bible says twice, and we know it was more than two years. Didn't, didn't just happen by chance. It was God bringing Joseph to the very point in time in which he could step on center stage and be the Savior and Redeemer of his family and be evidence that God is great and God is big and God's power is over all and in all and through all. God is a big, great God. And the church today would be well off if we had that kind of mindset. You need a big God, folks. Good news, to, good news for you. God is that big God. And Joseph was able to live successfully for him and overcome this problem, even though in chapter 40, 
he starts out in prison. And even though he, he, he was living right before he got there, and even though he lived correctly in the prison, chapter 40 ends with Joseph still there. Because God said, not yet, not yet, just wait. In the midst of waiting, Joseph stayed busy and faithful to God. Joseph seemed to have an ability to, to keep himself mentally in a position so that he could live ready. And Joseph must have had a concept that God is great and God is big. And the only way he could get out, his hope was truly in God. We sometimes lose significance of the value of our spiritual maturity in times of waiting. God knows what we face and God knows what's down the road beyond this battle. Lessons that can only be taught in times of waiting, staying busy and trusting so I leave you with these words, what to do when waiting. I just put it in the form of five B's on the back of your worship folder. Be faithful to God. Always faithful. Be busy. Be ready. Be bold for God. And then be found enjoying life. Even in difficult situations, there's something to enjoy. I read a quote this week that stuck with me all week. Have a blast while you last, even in the midst of a very undesired place in life. Don't forget, God is great, God is real, God is mine. Find something to enjoy. Oh, be faithful and be ready and be busy and be bold in our living for God, but don't forget to find a way to enjoy life. Have a blast while you last tried to think of a story that best illustrates this, and it, I, I could only uh, come back to the story that I've told here a couple of times. Not everybody's heard it, but, but, but let me tell you the story. It's in a book by Max Lucado. It involves a couple of physicians in a, in a giving of their time to help uh, those in underdeveloped countries. Physicians aiding physicians worldwide. Kyle Sheets, a central Texas small-town doctor, was that person. He and his wife had 10 children, and they came to this town in Central Texas because it was a town of great need. There was no physician. It was a low-income place, and they decided they would give their lives to serving their community. In fact, all 10 of their children are involved in that process some way. Most of them are doctors, but all of them are involved in charitable or medical purposes as adults. But this day, Kyle Sheets was in the country of Zimbabwe with, his old, with one of his daughters, uh, whose name was Heather. And after a day of operation of operating, a morning of operating, Kyle and Heather met together for a quick lunch before they went back to the operating room. And Heather says when his when she saw his her father's hand, a wave of nausea swept over her because in his hand was a was a what appeared to be a very deep wound. And she said, Dad, what happened? And he said, well, I was operating on this person, on this man today. And he said, you know, I had my hands in the chest cavity and I needed a, a, a scalpel. And, and, and there was a very detailed place where it could be handed to me. And the scalpel slipped. And instead of me reaching out to grab it, it punctured my hand a very deep wound. And then came the question, do you know that the patient you were operating on was infected with the HIV virus or not? And he confirmed that this person was and now a deep puncture wound in his hand and she said 
She said that Heather says she just literally got sick in her stomach, and she said, you know, there's an, anti, uh, there's an antiviral medication. That's not how you pronounce it. I don't know how you pronounce it, but, but you need to take a shot of that to protect yourself against, uh, against uh, being infected with AIDS virus. And Kyle said, we're here on God's work. We're trusting God to protect us. We've been here many times. We've been in these situations, and, and I don't think I need to because he knew the physical effects of the anti uh, drug that was uh, available he knew that the effects of that drug were almost as bad as having the virus he knew that it could be life-threatening in itself and he said no and Heather said yes and quite a father-daughter battle took place over the lunch table and Kyle really realized that because the man had had uh, that he had operated on was so sick and so infected and now he had a puncture wound in his hand and the blood had mixed, he knew that he had to do that. And finally he acquiesced to taking the drug. And Heather said that almost immediately her father became violently ill. He began to run a fever. He began to get sick at his stomach. He began to have blurred vision. She said every, it seemed like every hour of the day he got a little bit worse. And on the 10th day... With him barely able to stand in the operating room, on the 10th day as he got up, his body was covered with a rash that they both recognized as, as, a, as a, uh, a Stevens-Johnson syndrome, knowing that it was almost always fatal. And Heather said, we've got to go home. It's not time for us to leave, but we've got to go home. I've got to get you back to, uh, to a hospital on U.S. soil. And she began to call around trying to up their travel arrangements to, uh, to uh, leave uh, prematurely from their plans. And she tried and she tried and she tried. And the best flight she could get was a, about a 40-hour trip from Zimbabwe to Central Texas. It involved a 12-hour layover in South Africa and then 17 hours to Atlanta, Georgia. And then about another hour or so flight back home. By the time the 10th day happened and the reservation was made, they weren't sure that Kyle would even live to get home. She told the pilot their concerns and asked him to help. If he would get there as fast as he could, she thought any hospital in the United States would be better than, for him than what's here. And they began their journey home. She said by the time they got to the plane, his fever, Kyle's fever was 104 and a half degrees. He was altering between consciousness and unconsciousness. He couldn't set up. He couldn't walk. She said his, the whites of his eyes were already beginning to turn, to turn yellow, and his, his liver was enlarged and extremely painful. He was having trouble breathing. She said they strapped him in the aisle seat. She insisted on an aisle seat because she figured that if it continues to progress, they know how critical that is being physicians. If it continues to progress, his heart is likely to stop. And she said the best avenue she had to get him on the floor of the plane in the aisle of the plane and perform CPR was he stayed by the aisle. And she said when they strapped him in to his seat, he was really unconscious, unable to do much. She finally crawled over him and, and got in, and the, the plane eventually took off, and she just prayed, believing that God would... He was doing such a good mission. Where was God in all of this? Well, she said a few minutes into the flight, Kyle actually seemed to go to sleep. She thought she would take advantage of that. She had taken a big drink of water, and she crawled over him to go to the restroom to throw up the water she had just take, she had just drank. And she said she just slunk down the wall and laid in a fetal position on the floor, and she said, God, I need help. My father, who's given his life for the benefit of others, 
It's on the precipice between life and death, and I'm here. All I have is a stethoscope and a vial of epirephrine. And she said, I need help. And she said she didn't know how long she laid there. But she was jolted back to reality by somebody beating on the door of the airplane bathroom. She said she pulled herself together and tried to get her hair at least fixed and splashing water on her face. She had just thrown up. She had just spent days, sleepless nights, and finally opened the door. She said to find four large men standing there with their eyes big, and they said, young lady, are you okay? And she said, yes, I'm okay. And they began to question her like a physician would question. And she finally said, look, I'm a doctor. I know I'm okay. When she said that, one of the men smiled real big, and he said, you're a doctor. We're doctors too. And she said, there are four more doctors on this plane. And one of the other men said, no, there's 96 more of us back in the cabin. We are 100 doctors from Mexico headed to a a, a medical conference. One of those men was a top-tier expert in infectious disease. Part of them were Christians. And she told them their plight and said, I need help. First thing they did was summon those doctors in the aisle of that plane together around him, and they prayed for Kyle as if, as if God was his only hope. She said he seemed to calm down a little bit, and they told her that they would keep watch would she consider resting. And she said for the first time in 10 days, she actually went to sleep and slept pretty good. When she woke up several hours later and felt over to the next seat for her father, he was not there. And she said she was caught for a moment with great fear she looked around and realized that there was a group of men standing up in the aisle and in the middle of that group was her father Kyle Sheets oh he was still very sick he was still uh, 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 of uh, ICU condition but God had intervened and he was up he couldn't walk when he got to the plane. He was standing up. He couldn't sit up when he got on the plane. He couldn't breathe. He was breathing now. He, everything that happened at the beginning of that flight had been reversed, and he was standing, talking, engaging, while some continued to pray. And they made the flight back to Atlanta, including a 12-hour layover, and back to Central Texas where he went in the hospital. And Kyle Sheets emerged from the hospital several days later. The, the doctor said, No evidence of the HIV virus being in him at all. And Heather Sheets said, wow. Uh, Heather uh, uh, said, wow. I I prayed that God would give me a doctor to help. And God put me on a plane with a hundred of them. She said, now I know why I couldn't get a different flight because this was God's moment. This was God's time. This was God's plane. She said, we've been on planes before when 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 the... a flight staff would say, is there a doctor on the plane? We have a great need. And she said, there's, there's rarely ever a doctor on the plane. And God put a hundred on this one to help her. And she said, I'm so ashamed that I believe God was barely adequate. God was answering my prayer all the time, and God was doing for me more than I ever thought. And I asked for one, and God sent a hundred. And Kyle Sheets is still functioning today unless he's retired and uh, still serving the poor and the needy of his community, but with a greater faith than they've ever had before because their God was a big God. He is the same for us today. Waiting is no fun. Waiting on God is no fun. Waiting on God is not easy. Waiting on God is still difficult, but we sometimes forget that God is always at work, and if we are faithful and stay busy while we're waiting, 
if we live in a state of readiness, if we have a concept that God is large and, and able to do exceedingly abundantly what we ask, God will be blessed. And our time of waiting will turn into incredible success as God answers our prayer in ways we have never dreamed before. Whether it's in our lives, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our church, we need a great God and we trust in Him. God says, wait, but I'm at work all the time orchestrating the situation so that I can evidence myself in a way that can only be said, but God, but God, but God did this, and may He do so in your life and my life today. Let's be faithful this week. Let's trust God like never before. Let's live in a state of readiness. Let's believe in a big God who is able to do far beyond what we need and even beyond what we ask. And while Joseph stayed in prison, God was at work, but God was about to do something beyond Joseph's comprehension. Because of Joseph's faithfulness, he was able to do it to him.